0: What a great song. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. How, how, how did it go reading one chapter or one book, as it may be, every day this week? Did uh, I trust the Holy Spirit is beginning to work and, and sh- maybe show you some things? Uh, just a couple thoughts on that. First of all, after church last week, somebody asked me, they said, so what's the difference between a servant and a bondservant? Because some of the translations that maybe your said bondservant instead of just servant or, or slave is another way to translate that word. I thought that was a great question. I wanted to talk about that just for, for a few moments. In, in the Greco-Roman world, slavery was a big deal. Um, it was all across, it was widespread, and, and it adds significance to this, this term That Jude uses here for slave or bond servant. I want to just describe to you what a bond servant was in that culture. It it describes being owned and rendering absolute selfless submission to someone. That's what Jude is getting across about his relationship with Jesus Christ. And and again, I I just think about Jude as a half-brother of Jesus, and I think about Just the whole circumstance and situation that he grew up with. And it it's amazing to me the transformation that happened, that had to have happened in Jude's life for him to come to that conclusion that this half brother of his is now, that he is now his bond servant. Um, I just wanted to point out, you know, in the book of Mark. There was a a situation where Jesus had um, a bunch of people over in a house, and the house was full of people, and he's teaching. And his family shows up. And his family would include James and Jude. And, And they refer to him as being out of his mind. Jesus, his family, refers to him as being out of his mind. So up until the point of his crucifixion and resurrection... His family didn't understand who he was. So James goes from this place of calling his half-brother crazy and out of his mind to he is my bond, I am his bond servant. He's completely convinced and sees that Jesus Christ is the Savior, that he is who he claimed to be and he saw him alive. And, And we continue on that foundation of Jude's relationship and attitude with Jesus as we continue through the book of Jude. Now, Jude is just before the book of Revelation in the New Testament, so if, if you brought your Bible with you this morning, please turn there. Um, I'm going to be referring to lots of other verses, but, but today, this morning, we're doing verse 3 and 4 of the book of Jude. Last week we covered 1 and 2, today we're at 3 and 4, and this is what it says. Look at uh, it with me in your Bibles. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our sovereign Lord. Now before we go on, I want to mention one other thing. Um, I want to challenge you with this, it's in your next steps today, I don't know if you saw that on your tear-off sheet this morning, but this week I want to encourage you as you read the book, entire book of Jude, once a day, every day for this week, I want to encourage you to read it in a different translation, a different English translation that you would, than you would normally read it in. Um, so let's let's for instance, say that you've been reading it in the new English, the new International version. I want to encourage you maybe to pick up the New American Standard Bible and and read it this week in that version, or maybe you might go um, even, even further down the the line from from literal, which is the new American standard to to more of a dynamic translation which helps to interpret a little bit of the of the uh, old uh, language for us, which would be the NIV, to the other end of that spectrum of English translations, to the, the New Living translation, or even clear down to the bottom, the message. Just, just to get a different feel and and a, a different translation. Um, I want to encourage you to do that this week. Maybe you pick one, maybe you read it in a couple every day or something like that, but I just wanted to uh, to throw that out there and see if you might might do that in your Bible reading this week. So, Jude says in, in verse 3 that he initially um, sought to, he was eager to write about the salvation that, that we share. And I want to first talk about point number one in your notes, and that's salvation that we share. What is, he, what is he talking about? And he's talking about the fact that we receive eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's, it's us surrendering our life to him, and, and he shares that with those that he's writing to whether it was in his culture in that time or for us. It's this salvation that we share. You see, for hundreds of years prior to Jesus coming, dying, and it, rising again, God had, uh, had the Old Testament Jews, the Old Testament people, following laws. Um, the, five, the first five books of the Bible, that's what God commanded them to do, complete with rituals and sacrifices. But when Jesus came, he became the once and for all sacrifice, doing away with fulfilling all that God sought to teach teach us and the people through the law in the Old Testament. Jesus was the once and for all sacrificial lamb, perfect and complete. And Paul reminds Titus in the opening of his letter of this same truth in Titus 1.4. I write to Titus, he says, My true son in our common faith, This, this belief that we have together, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, He's saying it's in Christ alone that we are saved. This is this common salvation that he's talking about. Jude refers to Jesus at the end of verse 4. If you look there, Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Sovereign meaning supreme. The ultimate and uh, all-powerful authority. That's what sovereign means. And Jude says... I originally sought out to write you about this common salvation that we have, but, he says, I felt compelled to focus on, in on another aspect of this salvation, and that is to urge you to contend for the faith. This is something that you're going to have to defend, you're going to have to know, you're going to have to fight for it. And you need to know that, Jude says, because it's not going to be easy. He says, defend the faith. Second point in your notes this morning, it's the faith that we defend. He's talking about here, and Jude gives us four reasons that we are to, or that we, uh, in ways that we can, uncompromisingly defend this faith. You see, Jude has this fear that people aren't going to be able to defend it. He he has this fear that. Um, The people are going to be caught in a position of tolerance and out of ignorance fall into a certain uh, way of thinking, which sounds nothing like the culture that we live in today, right? Completely applicable, Jude is, to our current culture and how people in our world think and maybe even how it's a challenge for us. You see, it's hard to defend something that you don't know very well. And, And Jude says, you need to know these things. And we're going to talk about what those things are here as we continue through this series. But um, Jude also mentions the fact that they are being infiltrated by people who are deceiving them. Whether they're deceived themselves and just continuing to teach it or they're intentionally trying to subvert the basic message of the gospel and of Jesus Christ. Now, a couple weeks ago, I can't believe it's been a couple weeks already, but Zach, my son, and I went hiking in Moab, Utah. First time I've ever been there. Um, Amazing, uh, even though we hiked 26 and a half miles. Um, It was fun. (laughs) Didn't think those two things would be said in the same sentence, but it's true. Um, Anyway, we got up, we decided that one morning we were going to get up early and go um, see one of the most famous arches. Uh, in Moab, and it's the uh, it's that one right there. It's called Delicate Arch. It's on all the, many of the Utah license plates. Um, so we wanted to we wanted to hike there and see the sunrise. So we we got up at like I don't know I don't remember it was like 5:15, and uh, we we packed into the car and we drove up there. Got there amazingly fast because there was no traffic on the road. We were the second car in the parking lot and the first ones to head up towards the rock. It's a mile and a half one way hike um to to delicate um arch and uh when we started out the the trail was clear i mean it was it was concrete and in fact i made the comment to zach i wonder if the trail all the way to delicate arch is handicapped accessible because i mean it was it was it was just great and then we got to this point where it turned and we both stood there and looked and went okay now where do we go Um, And so we kind of wandered around a little bit. There's this big, huge rock um, formation that's just kind of slanting up, and we, we think, well, we'll just wander up that, you know, and we wander up that, and we're wandering around, and we have no idea where we are or where we're going, okay? Of course, we have headlamps so that we can see where we step, but we can't see where to go. And we look down, and there are other people behind us with headlamps, and I looked at Zach, and I said, you think they're following us? And they were! <laughs> one of them, the first one to make it to us, was a guy from Australia. Um, I could tell you all about his life, but I won't bore you with all those details this morning. Um, but, but, but he and us were kind of looking around, and we finally sort of decide we're, we're going to go this direction. And, and we finally, you know, all the other trails, they have these things called cairns, stacks of rocks, that the, uh, that the park service has put there for you so you know where you're going. They didn't have those here in this particular place for some reason. We finally find a sign that says trail, and it points like this way. And, and we, so we're like, great, we know where we're going now. Mm-mm. We didn't actually make it onto the trail. We continued in the wrong direction with people following us. <laughs> finally, we get to the spot where, where I can get enough cell service to bring up Google Maps and the page that shows where we are and where the trail is. And it's three ridges over. We, you know, made our way through the pucker brush and all of that and up and down, and we finally get to the the actual trail. We follow it on up, and we're the first ones to arrive at, at Delicate Arch, even being lost. And then we sit there and watch all the other poor suckers that were following us And they all finally made it too, but I made the comment, I said, you know, a passage of scripture comes to mind that that talks about the blind leading the blind. (laughs) And that's totally true, and that can happen in our churches too, and we have to, that's why we all need to be our own students of God's word, in addition to those who are our leaders. I mean, I'm not going to come here every Sunday morning and say, this is what it is. This is absolutely what it is. It's 100% right, and you just need to believe what I tell you. No, I want you studying it, too. I want to get the occasional email that says, hey, have you thought about this, or have you looked at it differently this way? I'm not sure if you're 100% right here. Now, I I know I'm opening myself up for something, but um, we need to be thinking for ourselves, too, and studying for ourselves, too. Um... To them, to the people that were behind us with their headlamps that were following us, it seemed reasonable that somebody else who was ahead of us would surely know where they're going. We had no clue. We had no clue. So we need to be, we need to be cautious and we need to think on things like that. There are grave consequences of getting lost in the things that we believe when it comes to doctrine and theology and the things that Jesus taught. And Jude is saying that, and, and he's saying here are, here are four of the reasons why we need to defend the, 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 the faith. The first one is because it's closed in its content. Okay, now, the faith that Jude is talking about is not faith as in just believing something. He's talking about faith as in things, the things that we're to believe. The things that we're to believe about Jesus and who he was, the things that we're to believe about what Jesus taught, how we're to live, how we're to avoid sin, those things. Those are the things that he's referring to. Simple truths, and sometimes the occasional not so simple truth that we come across in Scripture. That have been passed on to us through the Bible. This, this is what we see, uh, is what we see happening in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. When, uh, when, it's, when Luke writes this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It was easy for them in the first century to follow what the, what the apostles were teaching them. And that's what they were to do. They were to be devoted to it. These are the truths. These are what you are to believe. These are what you are to follow. And sometimes churches can shy away from what the Bible says because we're uncomfortable with it or, or we just don't like it. I don't want to do that. So Unfortunately, now we know that, and so the next decision that we make is a, essentially a decision of, of rebellion, or, or we come across some kind of new teaching or new understanding about a particular passage. We have to be careful with those things. We have to make sure that, that we study them in context. Um, so sometimes churches can, can come up with a new way or, or a new understanding um, and, and Paul dealt with these in Corinthians and in First and Second Peter. Other times, churches might want to add things to the gospel or dilute it, somehow make it easier to hear or softer in the eyes for everyone. Or it could be, or it could even be harder um, to see these things. Like this, um, salvation, salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. The Bible is very clear on that. There are some churches that teach that salvation is in Jesus and in the works that you do. Just a little subtle change there. Um, some, some churches would say, we would say that our, thor- our authority is in the Bible alone. God gave us this. This is what we have. This is where we learn those things. Others may say, it's yes, it's the Bible and tradition or it's the Bible and this other New Testament that, we were be, that we've been given. Okay? No, Jude is, is saying, and other gospel writers and New Testament writers would also agree, that, the, that uh, faith, the things that we are to believe, are closed in its content. It's closed in its content. Um, Paul would say it this way in Galatians 1, 6-9. I am astonished, and this is in the first century, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. They were trying to, in that culture, again, they're trying to fit in the law, following the law and this faith in Christ, and Paul's saying that's that's not right, that's not the gospel that we taught. And he goes on to say, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Paul is pretty adamant that this is what it is in what he taught the churches. John adds this in 2 John verse 9. It says this, Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. The teachings of Jesus are a part of this faith that Jude is talking about. And we have those in Scripture. We are to contend for them. Not add to them, not change them, Defend them, live for them, stand up for them. The second reason Jude says we're to be uncompromising is the fact that the faith, um, co- uncompromising in the, fact that the, in the facts of the faith, those things we believe is it's closed in its authorship. Jude, Jude says this, that the faith, this faith was once for all entrusted to us. Were to believe it, defend it, and contend for it, as Luke one two says, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first, uh, who were from the first. Wow, why is this getting so hard? Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, the faith, the things that were to believe, were given to us by God. They were, given, they were taught to the disciples. And then they begin to be handed down to us in the Gospels, the writings of Paul. And we have to be careful not to take God's word for granted. Sometimes I think we do. I never have to worry about having a Bible with me. It's on my phone. In any translation, I want to see it. And sometimes I can take that for granted and not take advantage of the fact that I have my Bible with me 24-7 and uh, that I can read it in any translation. You see, our Bibles were given to us by God, entrusted to early biblical writers, not invented or created by them, but breathed into them for us. It's of the utmost importance in our daily lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 3 Paul says this Now brothers and sisters I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand By this gospel you are saved If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. We stand firm on that. Second Peter 2.21 says, It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. I guess, I guess he's saying in that case, it's better to be ignorant than to see the truth and then say, you know what? Not for me. So it's closed in its content. It's closed in its authorship. We, we can't write new, new scripture. I, I think about the other New Testament and, and how the writer of that said that he he got the words in visions, and, and that these particular plates in this case were given him by who? An angel. Paul says, even if it comes from heaven, may God curse it. The third, the third way, and, and, and it's another way in which it's closed, is in its historical setting. Jude says that the faith was entrusted once for all. I understand this as a finality, as a, as a definiteness, that as, this is the point in time when it was given, and that's it, and that's good enough. We don't need any more. We just need to know what we already have and be obedient to it. We don't need anymore. We continue generation after generation to help the current culture understand it. You know, different languages, different different euphemisms, different ways in which we can present these this faith, but we don't change the faith. We don't change what we're teaching. Maybe maybe a better way to think about that is, is we change the presentation, but not the content. The content was completed 2,000 years ago. Some might look at the creeds from from the centuries and say that those are new, that they were invented by people in the church. But honestly, you know what the purpose of a creed was? A a creed was actually a response to heresy. A creed was saying, wait, wait, no, we need to remind you of, of the truth of faith. We're going to sing a song at the end of church today. It's based on the Apostles' Creed. The purpose of the Apostles' Creed is to reassure us and reaffirm the fact that these are what we are to believe. And if anybody says that that Jesus is not God, there's a problem here. The Apostles' Creed outlines those things to reconfirm our faith. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sin the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the Spirit. Definite point in historical time that this was done. Same gospel, same faith, and we need to be careful to contend for it. We also know from Scripture, and this is good news, this is the one point under this that, isn't, that doesn't say closed, is the fact that the gospel, this faith, is open to everyone. It's open to anyone, actually, is how the, the point says it. Romans 1.7 says this, To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be His holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This was new in their culture because up to this point, it was only for the Jews. And now they're being told, no, it's for everyone. It's for anyone. Uh, Acts 9.13 uh ananias says lord i have heard many reports about this man speaking of paul and all the harm he has done to your holy people in jerusalem he's talking about paul who was once saul who was the guy that was killing the christians and throwing them in prison and god's saying no i have chosen him he he's one of you now he's a follower of jesus christ Acts 9.32, as Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. Open to all of those in Israel, open to us. What mercy and grace God has for us, huh? And once again, as he did in the first two verses, Jude includes Christians, um, even us Gentiles, in the category of the people of God. Good news, words that inform the Jews that salvation is indeed for all and as Christians, as God's holy people, we must contend for the faith because danger lies ahead. There's opposition. You, you possibly have people that are opposed in your life today. There may be somebody in this very room that, be, that, that could possibly be that person. It can even be found in the church. Jude says... He's talking to churches. He's saying that the opposition is expected. And then I think he gives us four ways in which we should expect opposition. Paul knows there's going to be opposition. That's why he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. He's saying strict training is, is necessary here. We need to take this seriously. And in in Colossians 1.29, Paul says this, to this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Strenuously contend. It takes some effort on our part to be ready to know the truth. To be ready, like studying for that final exam, or like training to be a fireman or a police officer, or even studying to be a pastor, preparing for what could be coming, so that you're ready for it. We know there will be challenges and opposition, so we need to prepare well. That's what Jude is saying. Now, I have four quick comments on what Jude uh, says the opposition to the faith, the things of God are. First, I'm sorry I keep messing with this, but it's just wanting to pull my microphone off of my head. The first one is this. It's predicted. We're told multiple times that it's going to happen. We know it's coming. Peter says it this way in, in 2 Peter 3.3, 3, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. We see it in our world every day. I don't think any more needs to be said about, about the predicted part. We know it's true. It, we've been told. We're, we see it. We know it's going to happen. Number two, the opposition is very subtle and godless. Uh, Jude says they have secretly slipped in among you and they're perverting the grace of God. You've been infiltrated and you don't even know it. Pay attention, Jude says. And I think if we carefully look, that we can see this happening in the church today in America. In, In the name of tolerance and in the name of love... A misunderstanding, I think, of love, but churches are straying from God's word and they're relying on the wisdom of man. We just have to be honest and careful in this situation because it only leads to destruction. It becomes the blind leading the blind and the, and the blind that are following kind of get to the end and go, whoa, didn't know we were going to be here. I don't want to be the blind leading the blind. And I pray and hope that you don't want to be the blind leading the blind either. Jude says, you need to know. Galatians 1.7, where Paul says, which is really no gospel at all. Well, let let me start back in verse 6. Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. These, these, again, I think I mentioned this already. Probably because I had written it in this point and I gave it to you in another point. But um, churches that are saying that we have to be saved in Christ and by doing this, Paul is saying that's not right. That's not true. It's in Christ alone. And it can happen with the, the commands of Jesus too, honestly. My brother would refer to it as salad bar Christianity. You just kind of go, go through the line and you take what you want out of the Bible and just sort of leave the rest and, and you only apply part of it to, to your life. Um, if, if there's a truth that we're uncomfortable with, we just choose to just let that go and I'm not going to apply that to my life. I'm not going to live that way because it... You know, I don't get to do this or I don't get to do that or we need to be careful with that kind of thinking. And, and Paul was just as aware of this as Jude was in 1 Timothy 1.3. He says this, as I, urged you, when I, as I urged you, Timothy, when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. They need to knock it off. It's subtle and it's godless. It can happen over hundreds of years, in fact. It can happen to people who we thought knew, who, who we know and love. They just tweak it just enough. They've slipped in among us. No doubt, I think the readers of Jude, Jude's letter would be shocked at what he's telling them. Whoa! You know, I don't mean to raise suspicion of every other person in this room, uh, that's not the point. But the point is there's going to be opposition and we need to test faith. We need to test these beliefs against what God's Word says. And we need to do it honestly and as without bias and opinion as much as that is even possible because that's where we get into trouble. We want to believe something and then we go to the, to the Bible and we pick out certain verses that seem to say that, that that's true and we, and we follow those out of context so that we can do whatever we want to do. Second John verses 10 and 11 say this, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. There is truth to be known. And we need to hold to it. In an interview with New York Magazine, Lady Gaga, if you don't know it, she's a famous musician. Pretty outlandish actually. Anyway, this is what she says, and I don't, this isn't against her specifically, but it's a way that a lot of people in our culture think. This is what she says, what I've discovered is that in art, as in music, there's a lot of truth, and then there's a lie. The artist is essentially creating his work to make this lie a truth, but then he slides it in amongst all the others. The tiny little lie is the moment I live for, my moment. It's the moment the audience falls in love. So subtle it can be. And many times it's absolutely intentional. Have you ever played the game two truths and a lie? What what's the purpose of two truths and a lie? It's to be the person that comes up with the lie and and to sugarcoat it and explain it so well that everyone thinks it's the truth. We need to be careful. Because they'll slip in and it's subtle and it's godless. It's serious. We need to be aware. We need to study and learn God's word and contend for it. The third thing is this. It's sensual. Jude says they pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality. I mean, the opposition certainly appeals to our inmost sensualness, to our innermost sensual and sexual desires. It it seems that, that humanity in general is pretty weak in this area. I mean, God made us who we are, yes, and we need to follow and toe the line as he commands us to. I mean, where's the best place for the enemy to attack? It's where we're weakest. It's where, the, where we're the most vulnerable. And in our culture today, in the way that it is, that's one of the places that we can be the most vulnerable. Paul confronted this area many times. It's obvious that we need to shore up our defenses. Romans 6.1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may, may increase? You know Paul's essentially saying you've been you've you have much to be forgiven for, and so there's this huge enormous amount of grace that's come upon you, and he's foreseeing the people's thinking, and he's saying, "Whoa, whoa, before you even ask the question i'm I'm going to ask it for you. You may be thinking, well, then if we want to get lots of grace, then we need to sin lots." And Paul's saying, no, that is that's completely taking it." selfishly we're given freedom in Christ not license to do whatever we want and that is exactly what Jude is saying here Mark chapter 7 verse 22 Jesus says this and again I'm going to start in 20 but you're only going to have 22 up here he, Jesus went on and he said this, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. He was saying it's not what you eat, it's, it's your heart. And our hearts have evil desires, and we need to keep those in check and surrender those desires to Jesus. You know, when I was a young person in high school and college, there were multiple times that I can think of. You know, I had set values in how I would live my life, but there were things out there that, that, that I was tempted by. And there would be multiple times when I would intentionally, and I thought this through, put myself in potentially, potentially compromising situations that would provide the, uh, the possibility, if not the probability, that I would fail in what I had said that I would do and not do. Because I'd been enticed by the fact that it would be a really good thing. The second part of that thinking, or the third part of that thinking is, if I do end up failing there's two things that are going to happen. One, I get to experience something that, that, is, that God is against, but yet is, uh, appeals to my sexuality specifically. But the other side of that is I know God will forgive me. I mean, he says he will. We can't think that way. We, we can't do that. Jude is saying that there, there are people actually that intentionally, they're teaching this. That it's okay. Because you know God's all about all of these other things. And let's just ignore the other commands that he made to keep ourselves pure, to, to, to keep ourselves holy. We need to be careful. We need to contend for this. Yes, we have freedom in Christ, but just as Paul and Jude say, we can't take the grace of God and count it as a license to live however we want because in the end, he's going to forgive me. Let's not live that way. Paul says in Romans 13, 13, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. We need to realize that there are many messages out there that want us to live contrary to the teaching of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what Satan's all about killing and destroying and making life miserable. I mean, have you ever been in one of those situations where you're living in a certain way that you know is absolutely contrary to what God teaches and then you wonder why you're miserable and why, you're, why you have fear that we shouldn't have in Christ? Jude says it's been predicted, it's subtle and godless, it's sensual in nature. And finally, we need to contend for the faith in its truth and according to Scripture because the opposition will be also found to be heretical. Jude uses an interesting word in verse 4. Look there in verse 4. He said that they deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord, And it's interesting that, the, word that he, the, the Greek word that he uses for sovereign is not the typical word Lord as is found in many of the other New Testament books, which is Kyrios. Instead, he uses the Greek word despotis. And I might be pronouncing that incorrectly. I couldn't find a page that actually said it for me. Um, or Sovereign. The word sovereign or sovereignty is usually reserved in scripture for for the sovereignty of God the Father. But Jude is applying it here to Jesus Christ, who is part of the Trinity. It's true. Jesus is giving Jesus I mean Jude is giving Jesus to his readers just so they can hear it, the level of authority that God the Father has. He is sovereign too. And essentially, Jude here is talking about people who are theologically and morally rebelling against God. They know the truth, but they're trying to tweak it just enough to make life easier for them or to get what they want or whatever. John Stott says it this way, these men have not grasped or they refuse to grasp the extent of Jesus Christ's sovereignty, and so they feel free to play fast and loose with it. And as Luther says it, they consider not Jesus as their Lord, but themselves as their own Lord. And they're just fitting all this other stuff into whatever they want to think and how they want to live. So, uh, what I want you to do this week... What I want us to do this week as we read through the book of Jude is I want us to reflect on our own personal lives. Where, where are you? Have you, have, you given in to, have you given some ground to the wisdom of man? Have you become comfortable with sin in your life to where you, you, just, you don't even bat an eye at it anymore and it's just become something that you are willing to live with? I I just, I want to ask you to, to get on your knees before God and say, search my heart. See if there, just like David did, see if there be any wicked ways in me. Is there something that I've either been following blindly or is there some area in my life that maybe, maybe it's something that you've been comfortable with for years and, years and years and years and years and you don't even recognize it anymore. Ask God to shine a light on it so that it can be corrected, so that you can surrender that and repent for it. Maybe you've been sucked into some great-sounding new understanding of some part of the Bible. And again, the hard part there is it, it just seems so reasonable. You know, maybe God would show you that. Maybe there's something that you've tweaked or that I've tweaked that that the Holy Spirit will say, David, you need to to take a look at this. This isn't in line with what my word says. I I pray that, that you will do that as we continue to soak in this book of Jude. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us. So now, in the first four verses... Jude has now told us who he is. Jude has told us why he is writing. That's really what we've looked at the last couple Sundays. And I hope that you join us next week as we continue on in Jude because we're going to look more in depth as to. Now he's going to begin um, explaining these things more in depth, the predicted dangers, and we're going to continue to see how that we can contend in our culture today for the faith just as Jude was encouraging those in his day to do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, for, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have this, that you've given it to us. And Father, I pray that, that you would help us to just continue to see that, that, that it is what you want it to be and that we, that, we have, that you have given us what we need. And I pray, Father, that, that we would know it better Because as we do, we we begin to more genuinely understand who you are and how full of grace and mercy you are and and then who we are in comparison to you as opposed to comparison to other people. And Father, teach us. Search our hearts. I pray that we would would completely surrender our lives to you. And and that if there be some sin in our life that, that we've grown Comfortable with that? That we would that we would see that you would that you would not that you would not let us be comfortable with that anymore. Father, thank you for those who are here, and I and again, Lord, I just pray that you'd keep teaching us, keep teaching us. And now, Father, in this last song, we want to declare truth about you. And I pray, Father, that, that, that this song, I believe, would just ring in our ears all week long as we think about the faith that Jude says that we need to contend for in Jesus' name. Amen.